message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. As we said, we have a great speaking lineup for you. We are excited to bring to you this morning Daniel Ritchie, you guys. Here's a little bit about him, you guys. He's a speaker and author from Raleigh, North Carolina. He has spoken nationally and internationally at churches, colleges, seminars, conferences, professional sports teams. He's an author of two books, My Affliction for His Glory and Endure. And he's had writing on Desire of God, The Gospel Coalition, Fox News, The Christian Post, and Church Leaders. He's a husband to Heather and a daddy of two children. Give a VVF warm welcome to Daniel Ritchie, you guys. All right. Hey, VBF, how we doing? Good, man. Listen, I am, I am incredibly excited to be here with, uh, with you guys. Full, full disclosure, I'm, I'm a Southern boy, um, North Carolina born and raised. So if a bunch of y'alls crawl out of my mouth, <laughs> it's just... It's just the sweet tea, man. There's nothing I can do. Um, but, but let me just say this, a couple things, man. Uh, first, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to be back in the Republic of In-N-Out. Um, man, you guys, you, you guys have perfected um, fast food burgers, so I, I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, but then, too, man, you, you guys really do. You, you live in just one of the most uh, beautiful states um, here in the U.S., man. I, I flew in a little early yesterday. Amen. I flew, I flew in early yesterday, and well, number one, I looked at the, uh, the Bakersfield weather forecast, and I was like, bro, I'm getting out of the valley. Um, like, that's, that's hot. And, um, and so I went up into the mountains, uh, hiked, uh, what is it, uh, Trail of 100 Giants, and uh, man, just soaked in the sequoias up there. Man, it is just, just to see, man, just to see like just God's, God's power and God's beauty displayed in trees. Who would have thought? Um, but, but man, just really enjoyed my time there. But, uh, but y'all, for, for me, it is, it is just good uh, to be gathered with, with God's church this morning. Man, I send uh, greetings from, from my squad, my family. Um, they're, they're back in North Carolina. They were, they were a little a little jealous that, that daddy was going to California uh, for the weekend. But then again, they looked at the weather forecast and they were like, 110 degrees, you can have it, man. Um, but this is, uh, this is my wife, Heather. Uh, we've been married 16 years. And, um, and we, got a, we got a little boy named, named Teague Walker. He's 10. And our, our little girl, Elliot, she is six. And as you can see from that little foot, she is full of spice. Um, but, uh, but man, they, they are just my world and, um, and so incredibly grateful to, um, to have them. But they, they send their best along to you guys as well. Um, listen, this morning, what I want to do is, is just for a few moments, um, I just want to share with you guys my story, just what God uh, ha- has done in and, and through 
through my life. Um, but then also just, just to open up God's Word uh, here in a little while, uh, we're going to open up in, in John chapter 9 and, and look at a Look at a section of scripture that's just been incredibly meaningful for me, that God used in, in, a, in a huge way in the, in the early days of my faith. But then the, the great news for, for us is this, is like the, the word of God is powerful not only in my life, but in yours. Um, and, uh, and Lord willing to just be encouraged in, into what God is, is doing in and through you, but then what God is calling you into. Um, but before we get there, man... Let me, let me just go ahead and, uh, and man, get the armless elephant out, out of the middle of the room, man, because anytime, anytime I meet somebody new for the first time, there, there's one burning question that is hanging over their, their head, and it is, what, what happened to that man's arms? Uh, you know, and, and most, people, most people go to a really dark place, like especially here on the West Coast, man, I don't know what it is with you people in sharks. Um, but, but like most people think that, that your boy lost an arm wrestling battle with a shark for some odd reason, man. Like uh, a couple years ago, we were, we were on the Santa Monica Pier and me and my family, we were walking around and, and this dude, he looks at me and he goes, was it a shark? And I was like, what? And, uh, and, and then he goes, it was two sharks at once. And I'm like, bro. Bro, if, uh, if it was two sharks at the same time on two arms, like if the Soul Surfer girl had one shark and one arm and they made a movie, if it was two sharks and two arms, I'd at least get two movies, right? If not like a, if not a trilogy, like bro, no. Um, so, so just in case you're wondering, um, man, this is just, this is how I was born. You know, this is, this is the packaging that I came with. It's, and I mean, truthfully, it's, it's all I've ever known is just not not experiencing arms like the vast majority of you guys in this room do um, but but even within that like the the wild part even of my birth was like from from conception until birth the doctors never caught the fact that that I was going to have a disability and so nobody knew that that I was armless literally until the doctors holding me there in the, the delivery room but then on top of that, not only in that moment was I armless, but I was, I was lifeless. I wasn't breathing. I wasn't moving. The, the doctor tried to find a pulse on me, and, and he couldn't find a pulse. And so just what he, he quickly did was he turned to my dad, and, and he held me up so dad could see that I didn't have arms. And then he just asked my dad, hey, do you want us to let him go? Because this doctor, in a, in a very worldly sense, is just looking at me and going, what's, what's he going to do? And I mean, truthfully, it's like if we're to just very practically speaking, man, think, think about your morning so far this morning. I know, I know we're just a few hours into Sunday, but think, of, think about your day. You know, your, your iPhone went off this morning and you reached over and you slapped it so you could get those extra nine minutes of sleep. And now you're nine minutes later for church than you want to be. And so it's like, you know, panic mode, get breakfast, get dressed, get ready, get the kids ready, get everybody here, you know, come in like in the middle of the second song type, type situation. And, uh, and if you were just to take those first few hours of your day and hit the reset button, but I told you that you couldn't use your fingers or your thumbs or your hands or your elbows, how, how much of just your Sunday morning is going to happen? How much of that life is, is going to be easy, if not just possible? And so from a very worldly sense, like my life doesn't make sense in, in view of a world made for people with arms, by people with arms. 
but I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful that, that in the midst of that, that question hanging over de- the delivery room as to, as to whether or not my dad wanted to let me go, my dad didn't hesitate. My dad didn't stutter. My, my dad just simply said to the doctor, that's my boy, and you're going to do whatever it is that you can do to try to bring him back. And man, it's like for, for me as a daddy of two to just even process through my own heart, like, man, the, the 7,000 things that, that had to rush through, through my dad's brain, but it was just like, it, it, it was just a done deal. And, and, and in the midst of that moment, the doctors rush me out and they start to work on me. And, and I mean, obviously, as, as, as we can see right now, man, God was able to bring me from death to life. And, and, for, and, and, and truthfully, for my parents, it, it is that single moment that I think for the years to come, like my, my parents really stake their hope on. And I mean, to see the promise of God in this, it's like, you know, for, for God in that moment, it, it wasn't as if he did the miraculous and then he was going to distance himself for the rest of my life. Like, you know, it wasn't like the Lord did, you know, I, I, did, I did all the, the heavy lifting, the rest is up to you. Like the good news for us as believers is that God is kind enough, strong enough, powerful enough, and loving enough that he does do the miraculous and calling us from death to life by the work of his son, but then he's loving enough that he walks us through it all from the point that we trust Jesus to the point that we're sitting right now in this room. And so for my parents, that that was the promise that they leaned back into was that God is not done with this kid. And, and y'all, it's, it's just like, I mean, that, that really is the truth. You know, it's like if I'm, to, if I'm to paint the picture like physically for me, even though like people look at me, they, they, they see two floppy sleeves. They think I've been through some stuff, that I've faced hardship in my life. I mean, honestly, my, my hardship really has not been wound up in, in my physical body much at all. I mean, the, the, the best way I can describe it, it's like, God made you guys, y'all are the deluxe models, uh, you know, like God gave y'all arms and fingers and fun stuff. I'm the economy model, um, you know, like I didn't, I didn't get all the fun stuff, but it's like as if God gave the, the armless hardware, he gave me the armless software too. And, and there was just, I mean, literally for a moment one in my life, there was just this natural inclination that if it was, you know, as a kid, if it was time to color in my coloring book, I just very naturally knew how to stick a crayon in between my toes and, you know, color in between the lines or write my ABCs in kindergarten or as a, as a man with a gigantic sweet tooth, uh, nobody had to teach me when somebody sat down a bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, nobody had to teach me how to stick that spoon in between my toes and make the ice cream vanish into my face. You know, God just gave me, God just gave me the in- internal hardware for it. And I mean, it's... I'm so incredibly grateful that it's, I look over 38 years of life and physically I don't, I don't feel like I've missed out on anything. You know, I'm, I grew up a good old country boy. And so it's like, you know, I grew up driving tractors, go-karts, four-wheelers, fishing, hunting. Um, man, I went, I went to a normal public school, uh, just like everybody else, didn't, didn't do any, any sort of special needs classes. Uh, I graduated high school with honors, went to college on a full ride, as you guys saw in that picture, man. Amen. As, as you guys saw in that picture, man, met the girl of my dreams there in college, and uh, here in just a couple weeks, we'll be married 16 years, and, and to have two awesome kids, and, um, and, and, to, and to have a ministry that I, that I would not trade the world for, like the, the physical has never just been something that, that has domineered my life. 
But the thing that, that I have struggled with, and I mean, truthfully, that I continue to struggle with, my, my struggle has been one that's more emotional and spiritual than anything else. You know, it's like, we, we live in the most visual generation in human history. And I think because of that, it also makes us the most comparative generation in human history. Because here's what we do. Like all of us, we're going we're to do this. For, for those of us that are on social media, which is probably a good chunk of us in this room, how many of us were going to go home this afternoon and as we're trying to like doze off or as, as we're watching the British Open or as we're watching baseball, we're going to pull out the phone. We'll like doom scroll on Twitter or Facebook for a little while. And how many of us like we're going to see the perfect pictures of everybody's perfect family, their perfect dog, their perfect house, their perfect vacation. And how many of us compare our lives to people's perfect portrayal of what they have going on and how many of us get insecure about it or frustrated or, or covetous of it? Because if I'm honest, I mean, this, you know, I grew up pre-social media, which means I'm getting up there. Um, but, uh, but I remember being in middle school very distinctly sitting in, in the cafeteria there um, at, at my middle school, and it's pizza day. And, and so, like, I don't know what California public school pizza is like, um, but North Carolina public school pizza is <laughs> no bueno. Um, it is it's pretty, it's pretty gnarly, man. Like, the, the, um, the, the crust is, like, as floppy as a piece of carpet. The cheese is kind of made of, like, a cheese-flavored rubber material. Um, it's just not, it's not great. And so it's like, if you try to pick it up with just one hand or, or in in my case, one foot, it just kind of flops all around like a dead fish. And so I'm sitting there and, and I'm trying to eat this, this one day there in the cafeteria and I just, I cannot get this pizza pizza in my mouth. And it's like, I'm frustrated. I sit down the piece of pizza and I start to look around and I see all my other friends, all my other classmates, every, every single person in that cafeteria has 10 fingers and two arms. And I watch them eat their pizza and they're, they're not thinking a thing about it. It's just, it's just second nature to them. And I just, I, I, I remember kind of slumping back and going, man, that, that, that must be nice. Uh, that must be so easy. And, and I think in, in, in some sort of small way, it's like in that moment, like I had always known clearly, I'm not like you guys, like I'm different. But it was in that moment, that was the first time I realized I'm different and it's bad. And I mean, how many of us in here, it's like we, we sit in here and, and we feel different in some way, shape, or form. It's, we're different because of our ethnicity. We're different because of where we're born, the language that we speak. We're different because we're either too tall or too short or too skinny or our name rhymes with something funny. Like, in any sort of difference, the world will not hesitate in letting us know that we don't belong. And for me... <laughs> The, the world has no problem in letting me know that I don't fit in, that I'm not like them, that, that I do things with, you know, with a part of the body that, that a lot of people think are gross. I mean, you know, there's probably some not feet people uh, in, in this room right now, if we're being honest. And, and, and as a 13-year-old, that, that started to become incredibly destructive because I started to hate me and everything that came with me. I started to hate other people. You know, because I, I think some of it's out of jealousy. You know, it's like, man, I wish I had those. But then, too, it was just like, I mean, man, people treated me like jerks. I mean, people were incredibly cruel to me growing up. They're still incredibly cruel to me now. 
But then too, in, in the midst of all of this emotional hang up and feeling like I don't belong, there was also just this thing where it, even though I grew up in a Christian home, I grew up with two parents that loved the Lord that took me to church. And so growing up, I knew Jesus loved me. And I think for a lot of us in here, we've, we've probably somewhere along the line, we've heard that. But here's what I started to do was I would, I would, again, in that very comparative way, I would look at my life, I would look at you guys, and I would go, why doesn't Jesus love me like he loves you? Jesus loves you and he gave you two arms and ten fingers. Where did I miss the boat? How did I screw up? Like, why, why does Jesus not love me? And so into my teens, I just got to this point where I was just, I was done. I was done with me. I was done with other people. I was done with God. I pushed everybody away. And truly, like, I just wanted to cr crawl in, into a hole and die. Like, there was nothing good or redeemable or hopeful about my life at all. And, and man, God, God used of all kids this kid that was in my biology class in high school, he invited me to a youth group lock-in. That's all he said it was. Hey, just come hang out. We're going to do like pizza, get super hopped up on caffeine, and, uh, and have a great time. And so, you know, that's a 15-year-old's dream scenario. And so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go do this. What my dude neglected to tell me was, yeah, it was a lock-in, but it was a dodgeball lock-in. Um, and so you guys can only imagine how great I did at dodgeball. You know, when you, when you can't throw and can't catch, it just means you're an armless pinata at a, at a dodgeball tournament, you know? And, um, and so the, it's probably the first four hours of this night I get beaten to death, like just pummeled. And, um, and like right at midnight, youth pastor stops, he gets up, and he shares this devotion out of John chapter three on the love of God. And, um, and again, for me, that was, that was one of my greatest struggles. Like in looking in my circumstances, I sure didn't see the, the love of God. And literally, as I'm sitting in this gym and I'm icing my face from getting beaten to death in dodgeball, I'm like, yeah, bro, love God. Tell me all about it, you know? And, um, and, and so the night picked back up. They went back to playing dodgeball and I just sat out. I was done. Didn't want to do anything. Didn't want to play anymore. And so I'm off like sulking in the bleachers. And this youth pastor, like he had never met me and he kind of sees me just loafing, and so he wants to come and talk, and so it's small talk, like, hey man, tell me about you, your life, what you like to do, and it was, it was crazy just in the midst of, of probably a two or three minute conversation. I, I really do believe it was just like the Holy Spirit prompted this man to ask this question, and so he asked me, he's like, man, it, it doesn't seem like you, you really like your life, do you? <laughs> and I mean, I looked at him and just as honestly as I could, I was like, no, there's nothing good about this. That like everything's, everything's a struggle emotionally and mentally. I can't go anywhere in public and people treat me like a normal human. Like clearly God doesn't love me. Like bro, what? I don't even know what to do. And, and this man just probably for the next hour, he just sits with me and he lays out the evidence of the love of God for me. And it's not like, he, he wasn't picking out like circumstantial type stuff. He starts walking me through scripture and I'll never forget, he, he camps out in Psalm 139, the Psalm where it talks about that you and I, each and every one of us, that God fearfully and wonderfully makes us while we're in our mother's womb, that he forms us and shapes us. And the psalmist says, I will praise you 
for wonderful are your works. And this guy looks me dead in the eyes and he goes, listen, you need to know you're not a genetic mutation. You're not a mistake. You're a perfect creation in the hands of a perfect creator. And so, for, and, and so it is. So it is for each and every one of us in this room. Like there, there might be some of us in here, we feel like a mistake. Like we feel like God messed up when he made us. He messed up when he gave us the life that he did. And, and truthfully, it's in this. God knows exactly what he does when he makes each and every one of us. And he shows his love for us in that, that he takes his time in bringing us to where we are. And as this guy looks at me, he says, Daniel, God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. God made you that even in the midst of your weakness to show the world more of his strength. And even as he, he starts to go on, and, he, and I mean, truthfully, he lays out the gospel. He looks at me, he says, listen, there is no greater evidence for the love of God than this. That you sit here in this gym tonight, like you are an enemy of the cross of Christ, like you are living in your sin you are separated from God and you being a sinful man and God being a holy God. But yet what he does is he steps in to fix the whole situation. He sends his son to walk this earth, to live a perfect life that you and I cannot possibly live, to die the sacrificial death on our behalf, that, that in being raised to life, that Christ and it shows his power over both sin and death. And the promise is this, is that for those of us that trust in and rest in that sacrifice, for those of us that see Jesus as our Savior, our Lord, our hope, our King, our everything, God adopts us into the family of God and then he sends us out on the mission of God to walk in his hope and to walk in his mission. That's how much God loves each and every one of us. And, 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 and y'all, for me to not, for me to no longer be in this place where I see my life based on what I think, or to see my life based on what other people think, but to see my life based on what the creator and sustainer of the universe says changes my life. And, and to walk in that even now, church, what I want us to see this morning is just that hope. It is just that hope to know that, that our life built upon the person and work of Christ is what we were made to do in the very first place. And, and in what we're about to read here in John chapter 9, it's really cool because at the very end of this gospel, in John chapter 20, it's like John hangs his little purpose statement, the reason why that God used John to write this gospel. And he said, these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then we even see in John chapter one, on the, on the complete opposite end of this gospel, in John chapter one, we see in the beginning was the word. That word being Jesus himself, the word was with God, the word was God. By him, all things are made. In him is life. And that life is the light of the world. So you see in both the beginning and end of the gospel of John is this picture that there is one person worth building our life on and it is not us. There is one person we build our life on and it is Jesus himself. And even in the chapter after where we're about to read in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. But then he also gives the warning, but the enemy comes to still kill and destroy. And that enemy being Satan himself. And now listen, like, yo, Satan, Satan is not going to come at you with like pitchforks and flames and red skin. Like he, that is not how he's going to still kill and destroy. How he's going to still kill and destroy is he is going to whisper these little lies into the dark corners of your life. 
that God doesn't love you. You're not good enough. Look at, look at all the things that you've done in your life. Look at all the mistakes. Look at all the sins. Look at all the insecurities. Look at all the weakness. Why would God want that? And so how many of us take those little lies and we live in them? We take those little lies and we believe them. We allow them to dominate our life and go, God doesn't love me. God doesn't want me. When in reality, like we're about to see right here in John chapter 9, he does love us. He does have a purpose for us, and he desires for us to walk in it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 9. Um, if you didn't bring your Bibles, you're, you're watching with us online, we'll, we'll also have the scripture up on the screen. And so toward the end of John chapter 8, Jesus has this little dust up with the Pharisees. They try to stone him. They try to kill him. So Jesus slips out of their midst. He's traveling from point A to point B. And, um, and so as they're traveling, we, we see this interaction right here. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And it says this, As he passed by, he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so the blind man went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. So just a few things that I want us to see from, from this text in John chapter 9. And the first thing is this, like, I know you know this, but you, you, you really need to know this. Jesus really does love you. Jesus really does love you. I love the picture here in John chapter 9. I mean, Jesus, I mean, obviously you want to talk about somebody, somebody who has clout, somebody who has platform and power. The Son of God is pretty high up on that list. And at this point in his ministry, the, the buzz around Israel is huge. Everybody knows who Jesus is. I'm sure the crowd just following behind him is massive. And so they're just traveling from point A to point B, probably trying to keep a low profile just because the Pharisees almost killed Jesus. And as they're traveling, Jesus looks over. He sees this blind man who is certainly just probably sitting by this pool, the pool that we see mentioned here in John 9, where the most people are, so that way this, this guy can beg. Because listen, it's not like back in, in, in first century Israel that they had like a, a, an industries of the blind or any sort of school for the blind. The, the assumption in the day was if you were born with a disability, it was the sign of sin or it's the sign of a work of a demon. And so people with disabilities more often than not were cast out of the house and left to beg for the rest of their lives. That's this guy's story sitting here alone, no way to take care of himself, begging. And so what do we see the disciples say right there as soon as they see him? Hey, teacher, who messed up? Who sinned that this guy was born this way? If that's what Jesus' all-star team thought of this man, can you imagine the stuff that he heard on a day-to-day -day basis? Freak, weirdo, broken. I mean, the list can go on and on. This guy has heard every sort of degrading remark you can hear. 
And as his own disciple says this, like, just, just hear me out on this. This is kind of, this is me painting the picture of John chapter 9, because it doesn't specifically say this, but in my mind's eye, like as the disciples say this, Jesus stops, he comes over to this blind man who's most certainly probably just seated, begging, and in somewhere in this scenario in John 9, Jesus has to stoop down so he can spit on the ground and make the mud. And so in my mind's eye, before he stoops to spit, Jesus stoops. And like him and this blind guy, they're eye to eye. And I mean, clearly the the blind guy cannot see him yet. But before the healing happens, the physical healing happens, Jesus pronounces his love and this man's worth right there face to face. And he said, it wasn't that he sinned. It wasn't that he was a mistake. I made him this way so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. Before Jesus starts like binding the physical wounds, Jesus is binding the emotional wounds. Jesus is speaking his love over this blind man. And hear me out, in the midst of all of your mess, in the midst of all of your brokenness, in the midst of all the things that you think aren't right with you, in the background, Jesus is speaking his love over you. Do not... Do not miss the fact that the grace of God is far bigger than all your brokenness and all your sin and all your insecurity. Jesus loves you. And that's why the end of Romans chapter 8, we see the proclamation that there is nothing. There is not depth, not height, not angels, not principalities, not your mistakes, not your sin. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Church, if there is anything... If there is anything you need to hear and that you need to know today, it's that in spite of you, Jesus loves you. That in spite of all of the good, of all of the bad that you think you've stacked up in your life, Jesus is better and Jesus is pursuing you. Just as much as we see it with this, just as much as we see it in the midst of my life, the same is true for you. The creator and sustainer of the universe loves you. And secondly, it's this, it's that Jesus made you for a reason. Jesus made you for a reason. Because again, like, I just love what Jesus says here when, when, like, he speaks over this blind man and he says, it wasn't that he sinned that he was born this way. I made him this way so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. Man, what a, what a beautiful picture. And it's like, there, there's even, man, just the... The slightest detail in here, I don't, I don't think we can afford to miss. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to heal him so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. Jesus said, I made him disabled so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing when he makes us, when he gives us the story that we have. Because a lot of us, we feel like our brokenness disqualifies us from us being in the family of God and being used by God, when oftentimes and more often than not, it is our brokenness that uniquely allows us to speak to the grace of God in the midst of our mess. I love the promise of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when it just says, the God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction so we can grant that same comfort to others in their time of need. That one thing about you that you don't want to tell anybody about, that one thing about you that you are insecure, that you keep buried in darkness, that you keep buried in the corners of your heart, more often than not, that is the one thing that God can use 
for you to come around the people that you love, the people that you interact, and to say, you know what? I walked through this divorce. I walked through this addiction. I walked through this insecurity. I walked through this depression, this darkness, but God was kind enough to bring me out of it, and God is kind enough and strong enough to bring you out of it too. Do, do not sell short the purpose of God that he has given you in, in your life. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not too far gone for the grace of God. Look at the disciples. The disciples, I mean, by all intents and purposes, are the ultimate lower class. These are all guys that in, that in our day, they would be minimum wage workers, uneducated. They would be the afterthoughts of society. And yet God shows these are going to be my guys that are going to take the gospel to the corners of the world. Or as God thinks of who is he going to call to take the gospel to the, to the Gentiles and form the New Testament church, who does, he, who does he tap on the shoulder? He taps the self-righteous accessory to murder in the stoning of Stephen, the apostle Paul. And he says, you're my guy. Hey, you with the rap sheet. Hey, you that thinks you're better than everybody else. I'm going to use you. If God can use an accessory to murder... If God can use a bunch of minimum wage workers, if God can use an armless guy, God can use you. Don't sell short the grace and the purpose of God because that's the last thing I want us to see this morning is God's telling you to go. God is sending you out. Jesus says it right here. He puts out the call. He says, listen, we've got to work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when none of us can work. Jesus puts out the call and it doesn't, he doesn't qualify it. It's not like he turns around to the all-star team, Jesus' disciples. It's not like he's like, all right, you 12, just a reminder, you're my guys. You're going to be the only people that take the gospel. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says it to the 12. Jesus says it to the crowd that's gathered. Jesus says it to the blind guy that at this point is still blind, has no platform, has no power, has no education, and Jesus is telling him to go. If Jesus can send those people out, Jesus can send you out too. Jesus can use you to change the world. And I don't know why it is in American Christianity we're so incredibly comfortable to get our gospel and to get our salvation and then be quiet about it for the rest of our lives. The most selfish thing the Christian can do is to have the greatest news the world has ever known and to hoard it. For some of us, man, God is telling you to go and it has nothing to do with either you being a small group leader here or a youth group leader here, being a missionary or being a pastor. No, what Jesus is telling you to do is to go to your job, to go to your school, to go to, to, to Bakersfield itself, to go to even the ends of the earth and to use your life and leverage your time and your talents and your conversations for the glory of God. God can use you. God desires to use you. And we have to be willing to do just that. Because the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, listen, offer up yourselves as a living sacrifice. Offer up your very lives because that's your one acceptable form of worship. And I don't know why it is, again, in the American church that we think worship happens inside this place. And it does. When we corporately gather as a body of believers and worship God, man, that is a beautiful thing. But worship does not stop when you walk out of these double doors in 15 minutes. Worship starts when you walk out of these double doors in the next 15 minutes. God is asking you to use everything that you have for his glory. And, and 
You know, so, sometimes for us, it's just leveraging opportunities and conversations. You know, it's like all the time, like I, I tell people, I have more gospel conversations outside the church than inside the church. Because I mean, truthfully, the world sees me, they see a picture of brokenness and someone who should be miserable and they see me and they go, why is he happy? Why, why is he not like bummed out, you know? Like a couple, couple years ago, I'm, uh, I'm flying from Denver, Colorado to, to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was living at the time, getting on the plane. And as we're getting on, there's this dude who, as we're shuffling onto the plane, he's just very apparently staring at my empty sleeve. And it, like, if he would have been Superman, he would have burned a hole in my soul, bro. Like he was, he was not hiding what he was doing. And, um, and so some of y'all might be like me, sarcasm's my native language, um, English is my second language. And, uh, and so man, I'm about to throw down on this dude, give him the sharpest one-liner I can give him. And before I can say anything, my dude goes, was it a bear? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, he's not this dumb, right? Like there's, there's no way. And so it's like, I, I ask him, was, was it a what? And he goes, a bear, the arms, was it a bear? And I was like, okay, we're going to do this, aren't we? Um, and, uh, and so all I could do was like draw out a, a very like specific picture for him. And so I'm like, man, is this like me and you, we go to church on Sunday. We're sitting there. We're, we're listening to the pastor finish up his sermon. And as he's finishing, our little, our little tummy starts to growl, you know. And it's like, man, you know, it's like that specific type of hunger when you know there's one thing that's going to make it better. And it is fried chicken. And not just, man, not just any fried chicken, not chicken breast or chicken thighs, but like some good old-fashioned fried chicken legs. Like you know that you know that you know that's what you need. Did little Mr. Bear wake up one morning, his little bear tummy started to growl, and he's like, you know what I need? I need some good old-fashioned people arms. Like that's the... That's the one thing I need. My man, are you telling me I met the pickiest bear in the woods and he only touched the arms? <laughs> and he, he, he looked at me and he kind of sheepishly was like, no. And I'm like, that's right, you moron, no. And, um, and it was like instantly, as soon as the word moron flew out of my mouth, I was like, that's not, that's, that's not my greatest moment right there. And, um, and so... Of course, God in his judgment immediately puts me in the middle seat on this three and a half hour flight from Denver to Charlotte. Now listen, like you armed people, y'all know the middle seat rodeo that goes on for the armrest, right? When, uh, when you don't have arms, you just lose the war straight out of the gates. And, um, and so the two very burly, bulky, sweaty men that are sitting to my left and right now occupy my armrest. And so I'm just snuggling with two grown men I don't know from Colorado to North Carolina. And, and all I could think about the whole flight was just how much of a jerk I was. And, um, and so the, the, the plane lands in Charlotte. And, and I decide, you know what, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own up to being a jerk to this guy, I'm gonna apologize. And so, you know, we stand up to get off the plane and I'm looking for him and I see him, he's, he's in first class, I'm in the back by the bathrooms. And so it's like, he gets off way before I do. And so finally I get off the plane, I start sprinting through the airport cause it's like, I'm gonna track this dude down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a man. And, um, and, and so I see him coming from far off and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna catch him, I'm gonna get him. But then it's like panic sets in cause I don't know this guy's name. 
Like, how in, the, how in the world am I going to get his attention? Like, you guys, you don't know somebody. You come up behind him. You give him the little tappy tap on the shoulder with your finger. And, you know, excuse me, sir. And, you know, they'll turn around. What in, what in the world am I going to do? And so the, the only thing I could think of of doing was as, as gently as you can headbutt another human being. I, um, I, I headbutt my dude, like, right on the shoulder. And he turns around, his fists are literally balled up, like he is about to hit me with like an overhand cross. And um, <laughs> I just panic, I'm like, don't hit me, I'm unarmed. And, uh, and you know, he, uh, he kind of he laughs, he's like, oh, that was funny. And, uh, and so I just look at him, I'm like, hey man, listen, I am, I am super sorry that, that I called you a moron. <laughs> he's like, I'm sorry, I thought a bear ate your arms. You know, we have, we have this little back and forth. And, and so it's like the conversation starts to grow from here. He's like, all right, all right, what happened to your arms? How you do everything? You know, just nuts and bolts questions like that. But then it, after a few minutes, he just kind of lobs in this question. And he's like, man, that, all the things that you went through, that had to be super hard. Like, how, how'd you get through that? And I mean, man, in, in that moment, this dude is, is giving me the layup to the gospel. Because for me, it's like, it, it could be really easy for me to just be like, ah, oh, I just tried hard or, you know, I just outworked everybody. Truthfully, I didn't. Like everything that I've walked through in my life is by the grace of God, including the hope that he has given me in the gospel. And so for me to sit here... And just lay, lay out for this guy why I've gotten to where I am. It is all because of the grace of God. All to get to share the gospel with this guy. All because he thought a bear snatched my arms off. If God can use an, a bear eating arms conversation <laughs> to lead to the gospel, why can God not use the conversations that you have at your work, around your dinner table, with your family, with people in this community. If God can use this life, God can use yours. And he's just simply asking you to trust him with it. He's just asking you, for some of you in here, it's like you feel lost and broken like I did years ago. You feel disposable. You feel like an accident. And all God is asking you to do is to find yourself in him, to confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life, to turn from the old way that you live, to walk in the newness of life that Christ has given you. Christ is calling you to build your life on him. And for some of you this morning, you need to do, do just that. And for some of us who are sitting in this room, you know, it's like, yeah, we're, we're on Team Jesus. We've done this church thing for a while. My question to you and my challenge to you is, does your life show it? Does the way that you live, does the way that you talk, does the way that you love show that Jesus is your everything? Because it ought to. Yes. Jesus is sending you out. And this morning, are you willing to say Yes. Are you willing to let your life show the Lord who he really is in the midst of this broken world and he needs the hope that you have? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much just for the men, the women, the kids in this room. God, I thank you for your love towards them. I thank you um, just for how you have fearfully and wonderfully made them, God. 
I thank you just for the beauty of your gospel that there are people in this room who know hope because of what Jesus has done. God, I pray if there are people in this room this morning that don't know you as their hope, their savior, their Lord, their everything, God, I pray by the end of this morning they will know you as good and glorious and their king. God, and I pray for your church, Father. I pray that for the guys here at VBF, that as we leave this place, we will truly begin to worship. We'll worship with our lives. We'll worship with our words. We'll worship with our relationships and our time, all to show that you are better, that you are good, that you are glorious. Father, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. That was awesome. Why didn't, give, her, give Daniel another round of applause. That was, that was awesome. You know, oh, man. one of the th- things that just really stood out to me uh, today in, the, in this testimony and how God uses this man to spread the word, you know, a lot of us, most of us in this room, have arms and we have legs and we have uh, everything that we need or so we think but I'm going to tell you something I was born blind I was born to where I couldn't hear and you say wait a minute yeah you can see fine no I was born blind because I didn't see Jesus just like the guy that he shared about that Jesus put the, the clay on his eyes and caused him to see. I needed clay on my eyes. I needed Jesus to open my eyes. I needed him to open my ears where I could hear him. And there's a lot of us, and there's some of you in this room today that you don't see and you don't hear God because You've never come to that point in your life where you've humbled yourself. And it takes humbling to say, God, I'm messed up. Because all of us are messed up. There ain't one of us in here that's got it all together. And to say, I am messed up and I need you to help me straighten me out because I can't do it. None of us can live a Christian life. But Jesus said, you know what? I'll place my spirit in you. And through that spirit, you can walk as I walked. And so if I'm going to ask everybody to just bow your head and close your eyes. And if there's anyone here this morning that says, I need to relinquish my life to Christ. I need to give up. I need somebody to open my eyes. I need to hear God in my life. Just slip your hand up. Be bold. Just raise your hand up right where you're at. Yes. Keep, the, keep your arms up until somebody gets uh, some stuff down to you. Just raise them up. The thing that's going to happen to you today, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And that Holy Spirit is the the person that's going to be able to make you be able to follow him so let's pray this you pray after me 
Lord, I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to place your Holy Spirit within my life. Lord, I can't make it as a Christian on my own. So please help me. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to tell you something. We're going to have got people up here uh, that will pray with you. And if you made that commitment, I'm going to ask you just to come up and talk to somebody. Make it known. Jesus said that, you know, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Make it known that you made that decision if you're serious. And uh, other than that, if you have another prayer need, come on up. People to pray with you. You guys have a wonderful day. Stay out of the heat. God bless. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our king.